Welcome to the Scavenge Geology Podcast. Um, I'm sitting here with my brother, Trey Bryan. He's an artist. He lives in New Orleans, and he's a big fan of listening to podcasts. And he was the one who actually got me to uh, try it out in the first place. So before he heads back to New Orleans, I wanted to do a podcast with him. So how you doing, Trey? Good, John. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to have you. So since you live in New Orleans... I figured we'd, we'd talk a little bit about New Orleans, and I, I posted um, a couple pictures of the drawing that you did or the illustration that you did of the Napoleon House on our Facebook site, and people really seemed to love it. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it caught your eye. Uh, I draw these, I draw all over the French Quarter mostly, and I draw from life, so I'm always out there on the street drawing uh kind of kind of as the day is going by and you meet everybody and you you see kind of how the light changes on the buildings and really what i'm after is a portrait of the building not so much an architectural rendering but uh as i you know spend all my time out there and draw it it becomes a very detailed sort of an emotional depiction of what i'm looking at so in new orleans or i assume that you're down in the french quarter area yeah, that's correct. Uh, I, I actually live in Bywater, which is two neighborhoods over. It's about a five-minute bike ride. But uh, I, I draw and paint mostly in the quarter, and I have a gallery called the Elliott Gallery that I'm a part of on Toulouse and Royal Street, which has been there since uh, the early 60s, I believe. So you must see and hear a lot of kind of crazy things being in uh, kind of a you know street artist in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. It's the best place to people watch, to sort of put your ear to the ground to see what everybody's doing or talking about. Um, sometimes I put in my headphones, so it looks like I'm not listening. And as people walk by, they say all sorts of things, including likes or dislikes on the work I'm doing. <laughs> so being a, and it, just to, to, for anyone that doesn't know, being an illustrator, my understanding is it's kind of like having the ability to take a photograph of what you actually see in front of you, like what's going on, not only the, the spot, but who's actually there in that moment. So it's kind of like you draw a photograph or, a, you know, you draw the scene that's there in front of you. Is that, I mean, is that kind of, is that what illustration is? Or, I mean, is that what kind of you yeah, like well, to do? Well, pretty much what I do uh, lately is I just draw um, on big sheets of paper and I draw sort of the buildings, but the people around the buildings, sort of the bikes, the streets, uh, the street signs, and you know, the trash cans, or people laying in the gutter, or whatever. But, you know, I went to art school, and I was, I'm trained as an illustrator, so what that means is I can sort of cobble together a bunch of ideas from a, from a client, and uh, some reference from photos, and make a finalized drawing of an idea, let's say. Um, so, just for some background real quick, where did you go to art school? Uh, I went to Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida from about 2009, or 2005 to 2009. And you studied illustration there? Yes, uh, I studied illustration with a bunch of great professors there, but really I always think of myself as graduating with drawing and painting skills because that to me is just what the backbone of that school was. You drew a lot and we painted a lot from, from, from life, from reference. Uh, it was great. So I know you've done some interesting things since you graduated from art school. You know, what, what are some of the things that like the, some of the jobs that you've or illustration type jobs that you've had that, that have been pretty cool uh, or that you really liked since art school? Well, while I was in school, uh, I actually had three senior shows, which, you know, you only have one thesis show, but I had three, I guess. I had one of my senior thesis for illustration, which was uh, a bunch of, like, book covers, I believe, and then I had a bunch of work at a polo club. I was an artist-in-residence at a polo club there, which was amazing. I got to meet so many people and draw so many... Oh, neat compositions of horses and all that. And then I also had a group show with a friend of mine, a two-man show. And we called it, uh, oh, it, it was just called Big because we painted six huge canvases about six feet or four foot by four foot each. 
So those were three shows that I had at the end of my semester there. All right. Uh, end of my last semester. But then right after school, I started an apprenticeship with the world-famous illustrator, Mark English, who has recently deceased, actually. Yeah, I've, knowing the little bit that I know about art, I actually knew. I had been a fan of some of Mark English's stuff. Wasn't it on the back of a magazine? Uh, uh, all of them. Yeah, Garden lots of... He, he did a very good... Uh, Garden and Gun magazine is one that I got. illustration that you liked, I believe. Garden and Gun. Yeah, he so he was he was a really really famous illustrator, and so he was kind of a mentor of yours. Oh yeah, for a long time, and and I would say a best friend. I mean, we I used to live in Kansas City, and I'd see him every day. We, you know, have breakfast and, you know, hang out with you know his son and his family, and uh, yeah, it was it was excellent. So speaking, you you lived in Kansas City for a while, and for anyone who doesn't know this, Kansas City's kind of a big place for artists, isn't that right? Uh, yeah, it's... Or it has been in the past. Well, Kansas City ha- has a lot of different names and homages, but, you know, all the trains used to stop at Kansas City before they would go out west to Color- uh, to San Francisco. Um, but since all that is sort of over now, now we have highways, it's a different story. But uh, I went there because I was there with uh, with Mark English and, and, and John English's son, and I was a part of... Oh, the workings with the Illustration Academy and, and running a studio there and helping a lot of other people find their way there as well. But I also did a lot of projects with um, jazz clubs, uh, hotels. I was an artist in residence for a lot of things, including the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, actually. I was an unofficial illustrator there. Is That's a long story, though. <laughs> so I've seen some of your Kansas City Chiefs stuff. So basically, and what I've told people before is, like, you were – you were actually like what the only artist in residence for an NFL team in the country, isn't that right? Yes, but it's all definitely way unofficial. It was sort of a. I was I was really good friends with the, uh, oh the general manager who I met through the working with the symphony in town, uh, and the opera. Uh, it just all kind of dominoes together. But yeah, I worked with them for a while, and it's sort of like. If you think of an embedded war artist drawing in a conflict zone, that's how I kind of thought about it. I would I would show up at practices and games and just draw and draw and you know not get anybody's way, but still draw the compositions that I wanted, and I wanted to be an asset, you know, not sort of a liability or whatever. So you were basically like a like an embedded photographer yeah, you know, or an embedded photojournalist with an NFL team except you're drawing illustrations instead of taking pictures. So yeah, I'd have my sketchbook with me and I would just, you know, look at everybody around me, the players, and um, I would also listen as I was drawing and I would write down the actual words they were saying on the page, but in a in a way that it would uh, help the composition with the texts and uh, quotes and so forth. So we're talking about your career as an illustrator, and uh, we're, if you're just tuning in, we're, we're doing an episode of the Scaven Geology podcast, and it's last night before you head home to New Orleans, where you're a well-known uh, artist, including a, a super well-known, yeah. super well-known uh, street artist, even at times, uh, who has lots of great stories about the history of New Orleans and all sorts of crazy stuff that that happens there on a daily basis. Uh, But anyways, you were just talking about the fact that you were like one of the, you were like an embedded artist with the Kansas City Chiefs, which was pretty cool. And they weren't a great success-wise team at that point. Isn't that right? Yeah, it was a really bad season for them. Uh, But I was sort of an I was there on an unofficial capacity, but which was fine because I was there for the work. Uh, I really loved to just kind of sit and sit in the back and just draw and be on the field for the practices and games and you know sort of draw like a war correspondent almost and you know get to know the quarterbacks and how they thought it was cool what I was doing and I was there and. It was kind of like I was included, and it was really cool. But you I mean, know, I, you were like in the locker room and everything, weren't you? No, I wasn't in the locker room, but I was in the practices on the fields, uh, on the sidelines of the f- practices and games. What and, was that like? What's that? I mean, I know what it's like being on 
the field and you know being a college football player myself I know it's an it's kind of a surreal feeling just like standing on the sidelines even in a stadium within a stadium full of people oh like, it's, it, it's huge I can't imagine what it's like in an NFL game it's oh, gotta be it's, pretty cool it's amazing and I, I actually would come out the same way that they would come out onto the field through the same portal or whatever and so you know being an illustrator where like you're trying to capture a moment just like a photographer would i mean what's what's the value or difference i mean i i can answer this myself but i'd like to hear what you you have to say what's what's the value or difference or what's really cool about having someone who can illustrate a scene rather than just somebody who just takes a picture of a scene well how i uh how i find it necessary for sort of artists to document life and other things like that uh there's an emotional connection i think that happens through through artwork that through drawing that may not necessarily happen through f- photography or video or even writing i guess um you know sketchbooking you you sort of you spend time with people you you develop these connections with your subject and it's sort of um it has this authenticity to it um so I mean a lot of uh, a lot of uh, what what I do when I look at like historical stuff to try to figure out like what kind of gun somebody you know would have used in in a particular time period stuff like that. We didn't have any cameras in the 18th century, obviously. So all we really have to look to is drawings. So just kind of lately, I've looked you know at a few drawings of, for instance, like Virginia riflemen who. Um, there have been drawings of them, you know, by French or British soldiers that, that show kind of them in a moment and what they were carrying. And really, that's like the best information we have as to as to what they were using. Because if you if you read the actual word narratives of you know, th- these people's stories, they'll just say, like, I had a rifle gun and a shot bag or, right, shot right. or a horn or something. So really, a picture is kind of worth a thousand words. Well, you know, these old illustrators would would travel with with everybody and then send their drawings back to like like uh what scribner and ives or uh courier and ives and then they would have um engravers um sort of reproduce those drawings and engravings and then they'd print them for newspapers and journals and you know there was many different illustrators doing it and everything but uh yeah <laughs> so Let's go back to uh, oh one other thing you you've been talking recently about like this whole embedded artist thing or embedded illustrator thing like it's now a thing where they're embedding illustrators with the U- U.S. military isn't that right? Yeah, I mean they they always there always has been. Um, in fact, I'm I'm in talks with the. With the National Museum of the Marine Corps about uh, being a part of their combat art program, which you know I hope I hope to be a part of, and I'm good friends with a lot of people involved in that program, and it's amazing the type of work that they have, and and they exhibit such um, high quality, authentic storytelling pieces that it's there's there's a lot of value in having an artist around these conflict zones or you know, the medics or the hospitals to sort of tell the stories in ways that, you know, a, a video or photography can't really capture. Because when you walk around with a camera, it's sort of, it, it is self-incriminating. People start asking questions. There's legalities there. But if you walk around with a sketchbook, you know, people give you the keys to the kingdom. Because not many people have the goal to sort of stand there for 10 minutes to draw somebody and and to do it well hopefully so well what's let's go back to new orleans like you you decided to draw this picture that i posted of the napoleon house what um now the reason that you drew it or at least you gave it to our dad as as a christmas present because that's actually the restaurant where he and our mom fell in love you know etc etc um is that, I mean, tell us about the Napoleon House as far as its history in, in New Orleans. Is that in the French Quarter? It is. It's on Charts, Charts or Charter Street and St. Louis. 
and it's I think just two blocks away, two or three blocks away from the center, which is the cathedral, the St. Louis Cathedral. But as my understanding, the Napoleon House was built for Napoleon to exile there if he wanted to. <laughs> and you can't build higher than, I, I believe it's four stories or so. And there's like a cupola or whatever. You can't buy, build higher than the cathedral. You, you can't right? build higher than the cathedral. And, you know, it's like that way in, in a lot of European towns as well. But they built this lookout point on the top of the building for Napoleon. So if he was there, he could also gaze on the Mississippi River to see if there were any enemy ships coming his way, <laughs> as I understand it. So, I mean, how long has that, that restaurant been in business? I mean, we know it was in business before, I guess, before I was born, and that was 1980. So um, I, I, how long has it been in business? I Do you think know? it's been in business for... I don't know. Um, I mean, we got. I have the book on it, but uh, I think it's been in there for oh, maybe right after I don't know, eighteen sixty or something. Or I know the old one of the oldest restaurants in North America or, or in you know the United States is um, Antoine's, which has been there since the Civil War, since before the Civil War, eighteen sixty. So, it's it's probably not too far later that it came around. All right, we had to take a quick break, but uh, if you're just tuning in, again, uh, I, I was running a Facebook Live video at the same time we're recording a, an episode of the Scavenge Geology podcast, which is really high tech, and with my brother, Trey Bryan, who is a street artist slash... Fine artist. Fine artist slash very well-known artist and ex-NFL illustrator and maybe future... War or combat illustrator yeah, for the com- military. Yeah, some sort of a combat art program. And uh, and so he's if, if you this will be uploaded to our our uh, next scavengeology episode. But but just to give a quick recap, basically he's a badass illustrator. It's kind of like taking a picture, but 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 it's an artistic drawing and rendering of of what's in front of you. So. He lives in New Orleans. He spends a lot of time in these crazy areas in New Orleans, and he kind of blends into the background in order to illustrate kind of these scenes. And uh, at the same time, he sees lots of crazy stuff, and he learns lots of cool history about Well, you end up becoming part of the story of New Orleans, which is really cool. So. So we just got done talking about the fact that he was like the only artist who was like kind of like embedded with an NFL team and that's when he lived in in uh, Kansas City and he was kind of embedded with the Kansas City Chiefs and he did lots of cool illustrations from there and uh, he's probably one of the one of the rare individuals who went to art school and has been making a living as an artist ever since yeah yeah and- I graduated in 2009 and uh, some of the things I did in Kansas City was um, I was an artist in residence at the Hotel Phillips, which is this oh on the same plot of land that uh, I think Truman had a haberdashery, and then um, and what's what's a haberdashery for those of us in Rio Linda? Just a, a gentleman's accessory uh-huh. boutique, I guess. But uh, that was an actual staff title that I had was a illustrator in residence at the Hotel Phillips for a year and that was amazing because I would just the way I structured that job was I would just go to the lobby the bar outside I would go all around the town and be an ambassador for the hotel and sort of ask people their stories or draw them and they would get curious and say hey what are you doing I'm like oh well, I'm actually an illustrator here you know can I buy you a drink or food or something or, you know, tell me, what, what are you doing here? So I would draw them and get their story and I would do that for the hotel. And So, I mean, have you gotten to meet some interesting people oh, in New Orleans? For sure. Um, like who's the, who's, who's like the most interesting person that, you know, off the top of your head that you've, you've met while drawing uh, scenes and people in New Orleans? In New Orleans. Well, I've, I've met a lot of people and a lot of interesting people, uh, a lot of local I guess TV stars from like NCIS or whatever, New Orleans and stuff. Um, let's see. Who? What about? I know you met this guy, uh, the dude from Breaking Bad. Oh yeah, I met uh, Brian Cranston and 
Aaron Paul, Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad, which is one of my favorite shows. And they were doing a cocktail release of their new Mezcal company, I believe, from Oaxaca, Mexico. What's what's Mezcal? It's like a type of tequila, I guess. It's I don't really drink it, but uh, I can't drink it. <laughs> but, bad, uh, bad things happen oh, for when, sure. when I drink tequila, um, and I don't remember them. But I, I saw on Instagram one day that... Uh, that they were there, and so I was like, oh, man, I, I, I have to get in there and draw them. And so I was messaging people and trying to figure out who the end was. So at the end of the day, I just said, well, you know, screw it. I'm going to go, and I'm going to draw those guys, and I'm going to get their signatures on my sketchbooks of their drawings. So, you know, there's hundreds of people crammed in Napoleon House on Charters and St. Louis there in the French Quarter. So I, I, I know I'm not going to be able to go in certain places. So I go all the I, I go upstairs. And all of a sudden, Brian Cranston walks out and, you know, he starts making cocktails and things. And so I'm waiting in line and then it's getting to the end of his shift sort of thing. So I stand in the one place he's going to come out. So he comes out and, you know, I show him my drawing and he signs it. And then Aaron Paul comes out of nowhere and I get him to sign it. And it was just great. Um, yeah, I mean, those, those guys are, and they were super nice. So, yeah. So do the people ever like want to buy the drawings oh, that you pe- just did of them yeah people i think from the restaurant and the bar were like what, what is this guy doing you, you get sort of looks as you draw things in, in front of people and people are wondering what you're doing you know is this a tax appraiser or what? is anyone ever <laughs> like i you know i demand that you you uh, destroy that drawing I, I didn't authorize my drawing to be taken no <laughs> not many people do that there was only one time on the dc metro this one woman didn't like that a clan of us were drawing and I had sunglasses on. She couldn't tell what I was doing, but cause I can draw without looking at the paper kind of thing. And she moved to the back of the, <laughs> the subway car. Um, cause she didn't, she just knew we were still all still drawing her. So, <laughs> so new Orleans is famous for like its history and it's, you know, it's ghosts, things like that. I mean, have you had any paranormal type experiences? Well, well, there's, around New Orleans. there's a saying, uh, if you if you don't believe in, let's see, it goes, uh, if you don't believe in ghosts, you don't believe in New Orleans. <clears throat> and there's a lot of truth to that because it, it's a very airy place. It's always Halloween there. You're, you know, you, you don't, you never know what you're going to find. I never really felt too unsafe there or anything, but it's just, you know, it's, I like to be in sort of the thick of it and that's a great spot to be in. Especially if you want to create something and, and you need this inspiration to sort of see how far you can go in your own work. And it's a it's been a great incubating do you in, ever, incubator. Do you ever so. go in the cemeteries and draw those like at night? Not much. Um, I painted them, I guess, but I'm not really near any. I mean, I, I go all around on my bike, but I'm not I'm not really much into drawing the cemeteries. What it's, about what about the have you ever been to the site where uh uh, the site of the battle in New Orleans. Yeah, the 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 battle there is about four miles. The battlefield there. It's a national park actually, um, but it's it's about four miles down uh, in Lower Ninth Ward there. Um, I mean, it's still like a field, isn't it? I mean, I've seen a, pictures of it. It's a big field, and it's on a on on the river bend, and it's a very low laying area. It's it's like ten feet, eleven feet below below sea level. So the river is actually. You know, up there on the levee, and you're you're down there, and and then you you start to understand why they chose to sort of fight that field and everything because they flooded it, I think, the night before, and then once the British came or whatever, they uh, they any- got stuck. They got stuck in the bog there, and so that was just a slaughter, I believe. Is there anything left like at the spot? I mean, can you see breastworks where you know they had defensive? position set up or anything like that i believe there's a bunch of old uh there's probably a bunch of what that staining in the ground that you were talking about from wood so they've sort of recreated parts of the old barricade there and i think there's a couple old cannons there's a giant house that i think was there at the time it's 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 a lot older than 18 you know 1814 i believe which is when it held or when, when it was there so sometimes when i go to like a historic site like it especially if i'm alone and i don't know maybe there's 
thousands of people there when you go to this spot. But I mean, sometimes like I can feel energy, you know, just the the energy of like something badass that happened there, you know, just the the yeah. energy of, of history or of a battle or something. You know, kind of like when you go to Gettysburg, like you go through the the Devil's Den or the spot where you've seen, you know, there's dead bodies laying there. I mean, you feel this kind of aura of 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 history. I mean, do you get that feeling there at all or anything like that? For, for sure. I mean, at the battlefield, yeah. I mean, it's all marked, and you can walk around it. And it's a very small area, and you start to wonder why it was all, why it was so far away from the city and all this. And but then, you know, you can definitely feel what you're talking about all throughout New Orleans. You know, all through the quarter, you're wondering, you know, God, was this where Jackson, you know, confronted Lafitte? With hey, you know, we need we need ammunition. We need your guys. You know, if if you guys help us, we'll you know kind of decriminalize a lot of this stuff you all were doing or whatever. I mean, uh, most yeah. of the ammunition that they were that Jackson was using and stuff came from you know the the pirates because the federal government only helped so much. So, I read a really interesting book one time <clears throat> about the Mississippi River. And a lot of that obviously had to do with New Orleans. And there was so much of the history that had to do with these pirates, like these badass pirates. Well, they go to the Caribbean and stuff. And, I mean, wouldn't they have, like, these bases, like, back in these coves or hollows or hollers, as we would call them here in West Virginia? (laughs) Like, they would have these, these pirate bases. And, and, um, like, that's, that's where they'd have their own little, like, mini, Pirates of the Caribbean, like their own little city in there, and then they'd use that as a base of operations to go out and raid boats on the Mississippi Mississippi River or whatever. I mean, have you have you seen any any well, kind of spots like that or around New Orleans? I'm sure those are around, but you know, New Orleans is far up the Mississippi River. You you start to wonder, you know, why why did people you know go there and engage in that battle? Why not just set up a blockade? You know, and stop trade or whatever. And um, there is a thing, a thing called uh, the Lafitte's Preserve or whatever. I believe it is. It's it's like 40 minutes south, and, and uh, I guess past Bell Chase and all that. But you know, it's a giant floodplain. It's a big fisherman town. But maybe that's what you're talking about. You know? Is is uh, I mean, what's the the other thing I remember reading about, like this this book I read, my my mother in law gave me this book on the Mississippi River. I don't even remember what it's called, but the other big thing was like there was this before the Civil War at some point, maybe it was like the early eighteen hundreds or eighteen twenties or something like that. There was a, like this great religious revival, like the you know religious Great Awakening or whatever the hell they called it, and they'd go out and they'd have these huge parties around the Mississippi River and around New Orleans. And they'd have these huge parties with like tents set up, and and uh, people would come in from the city, and they they'd go out to these big parties like out in the woods, and there'd be these big like tent parties, and there'd be preachers, and there there'd be all sorts of drinking and drugs and and like orgies, like all sorts of crazy stuff going on. I'm sure it still happens today. <laughs> and they they because they started drink. What was the name of that drink? Like the, that was made famous by New Orleans. They started drinking this like crazy well, stuff. Well, cocktails, I believe, came from New Orleans. Um, one in particular, the uh, Sazerac, which is one of the oldest cocktails, I believe. But you know, rum and. and you know that was also called like kill devil it, when you know 400 years ago and stuff because it would just make people go nuts and um kill devil yeah kill devil is it's an old term for rum and uh you know the real distilled you know moonshine and stuff was so disgusting and ill tasting that they started to make these concoctions these cocktails to help you down the liquor so that's kind of where cocktails came from and and, you know you cut it up and sell it like that obviously but you know which is where the term real mccoy came from obviously the uh where's it real mccoy is you got the 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 moonshine main moonshine made from mccoy so when people say oh that's the real mccoy that means you've got the uncut awesome moonshine so and that stuff went up to like chicago and stuff through you know through the Mississippi and stuff and and through 
uh, uh, like Pensacola and, you know, driving straight up in the... What are some of the, like, what's the, as far as your personal favorite, like some of the, the historic sites in New Orleans, What what's like one of the, the historic sites that you really liked in New Orleans? Well, I actually go to, uh, it's not really too historic, but there's the, uh, let's see, the uh, the Carousel Bar and the Monteleone Hotel, which is pretty cool. It's pretty, it's touristy nowadays, and it's a bar you sit on, and it spins around, and it it makes uh it, it takes 15 minutes to make a revolution the carousel bar it's called the carousel bar and it's it, it's been around i guess for like 100 years maybe less but that's really cool but there's also the sazerac bar and, and the roosevelt hotel which is it was a, a modern marvel in the sense that when it was built it was the 13th largest tallest building in the u.s or in the world or something um it's just an architectural marvel. Um, I don't know. I like the whole quarter because it's actually remnants of like you know the Spanish and the French. I was reading about a uh, like during the Civil War when the Yankees first came in to New Orleans, there was a uh, the the Union general who took over New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans obviously was a Southern city at the uh, before the Civil War. I mean, it was yeah, part. It, it was, was part of the South at one point. Yeah. I mean, that was like the port where everything would come in or out of the yeah, whole cotton, Mississippi River basin. And slaves and all sorts of things. Yeah. So, when the Union Army came in, like it was, I mean, it was an invading army basically. Um, yeah. And the the Union general that that came in and like it was his job to rule like under martial law over New Orleans. Um, uh, he was like hated by people in New Orleans, uh, especially the women. What was that guy's name? But I, I did a post on him not uh, not too long ago. I don't even remember what whether that was a podcast or, or something I had written. But this guy they they had a nickname for him because he was confiscating like everything, and they called him what was it? It had to do with like he confiscated this lady's like silverware. Like he was, he was, he was confiscating the belt, like the the bronze bells off the churches, off the plantations. He he had found a cachet full of plantation bells of bronze that he confiscated. Yeah, that's why I was talking about it. It had to do with the piece of bronze bell that I found, maybe a stone's throw away from where we're sitting right now, just under the ground, the part of a some Civil War loot. But but uh, that's basically what what was going on in New Orleans as well is this guy, this Union General was was confiscating all the stuff that was owned by the, the Confederates in that area and like they hated this guy, especially the women. Well, most of the Union you know, soldiers stole from all the Confederates all, you know, all the South all the time, so yeah. So being a Confederate city, I mean, there. Were, I know that there were Confederate like monuments, statues, and stuff all over New Orleans at one time. Yeah, there. Uh, you know, I guess they're all. Most of them are taken down, but yeah, the Beauregard statue in front of the city park and the art museum is gone. The uh, Robert E. Lee statue is gone, and Lee Circle there. Um, I mean, some of these are pretty big statues, weren't they? Oh, they're giant. They're you know they. You know, eleven feet tall or ten feet tall. I mean, huge bronze uh, sculptures. Yeah, full size horses and all this. A- Andrew Jackson is still there, and so there's still a statue of Andrew Jackson. In New oh Orleans. yeah, and, and and you know, we we owe it to Jackson of you know defeating the British pretty much from the Second Revolutionary War. Pretty much the you know when they tried to take it back. But uh, he slaughtered him. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, how is he regarded? Andrew Jackson's a super like controversial figure now in American politics and and in regards to history. I mean, probably most history professors that you'll have in colleges and and whatnot right now that they, they probably talk about Andrew Jackson. They they just probably tr- talk about his his Indian policy, the Trail of Tears, and all that. But at one time. You know, he was an important person in New Orleans history, and they had statue. They still have a statue of him. I mean, how is he regarded today? Is in New Orleans as far as 
I mean, do they respect his legacy or do they I, hate I, his guts? I mean, or I think it's torn. You know, a lot of younger people don't know the history, so it's you know they all they see is you know this this you know slaves and things and stuff like that. But you know he was you know beaten and almost killed by the British in a prison when he was a kid, and his brother died from a British prison. But uh, you know, he was the last one that the United States said, hey, you know, you need to go down there and stop the British. And so that monument was is pretty much for him. Well, how is it, saving how, it, how's it you know? still up in New Orleans? It's, I mean, it's right there in the center of, uh, of uh, right in front of the cathedral there. I mean, it's a staple there. It, if it, they take that away, you know, I don't know what could fill its place other than a, a mediocre. Do you think the people, you know. Do you think that people in New Orleans have uh, I mean, do they want to keep like the statue of Andrew Jackson? Or I mean, has there been talk of taking well, I think that the down? People from there of all different backgrounds uh, understand the importance of you know a, a monument towards the history of the time in which that was. You know, you can say what you want about hindsight and all this thing, all these things, but. You know, he he defended that whole place and got everybody together during wartime of all these different, you know, he got, you know, the, the criminals, the the everybody in town to fight f- that battle there. And they won. And I see it as a way of, you know, he, he kind of brought uh, all these pieces together in this gumbo to sort of execute a, a well thought out plan there. Now, what about, like, the Confederate statues in New Orleans? I mean, are they all gone now? Have they all been th- taken down? I think they are, yeah. It's a it's a huge political move, but... Has that been something that's been controversial in New Orleans, or has that been... Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've only been living there for, like, five years or so, but I bet you nobody really even thought about it that much until... 10 years ago or something, you know. Does it seem like like the people in New Orleans, whether or not they're for or against like, taking down these statues, to, I mean, does it seem like, are they mostly from the south still there, or, or is it mostly people who've come down to New Orleans from I think up, it's up north mostly, or California? I think it's mostly transplants. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the... Uh, I mean, it's also torn. You have a lot of people that want them gone because, it, you know, they show a history of slavery and things and you know that can't be overlooked as well but you know you you can't not tell history at the same time you know so so have you have you drawn any of these monuments or like the oh yeah i draw actually a lot of commissions of these monuments and i can't do them fast (laughs) enough actually (laughs) so are you are you drawing monuments that have already been taken down um, sometimes, yeah. Or did you draw them before they? they I have were taken a lot down? of drawings, original drawings of of them while they were there, and including protest drawings. So I'd go out to these huge protests and draw everybody and kind of disguise myself as a as a protester. So what were those? <laughs> and like? just get close and draw because I wanted the point of view of being in the the crowd, you know, because that to me was the fun of it. So I mean, what you what know. was your takeaway from being kind of melting into the crowd for these protests over these monuments? Well, I mean, I mean, were they people from around there? Do you think they were bussed in there to protest over these things? I mean, some of these people, like these massive ones, yeah, for sure, because you can see the buses. Because I used to sell artwork on the uh, Royal Street fence there by the cathedral, and. You know, we're very attentive of what's going on in the French Quarter because it's not a big place. And you can see all these buses and people come out. And um, so you know that. So they're actually bringing people in on a bus. I would say in the last three years I've seen it a few times, yeah. But I don't know about those protests there. I think, you know, a lot of it is, you know, youth on Facebook and it's, you know, it's just organizing and. You, you can understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. Has it, you know. has it changed since you've been there just in the past five years in New Orleans as far as? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it changes all the time, but it's always the same at the same time. You know, like, you know, mom and, th- and dad were back there in 75, you know. No telling what they're not telling us, you know, <laughs> what they experienced. But So what's the... You know, Mardi Gras for like people who live there around the French Quarter. I mean, is that 
is that like a fun time or is that is that just like when all the tourists come in? Well, it is. It's a very fun time. They they call it carnival, um, and it's you know it's something that happens all around the world. It's 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 a time of sort of kind of sharing the riches and stuff. And I heard a story one time. It it talks about how the poor were banging on every on all the garden district doors all the time because I guess the rich didn't the rich in the garden district or whatever didn't pay a lot of taxes or whatever and or weren't paying wages or something. And so they started getting you know knocks on their door and so they just started handing out their pearl necklaces that they had on and stuff to probably to stop them from starting fires in their homes and stuff and i think that's where all that comes from i believe um i'm not an authority on all that but well that makes sense i mean i mean mardi gras now it's like you got the bead necklaces right they throw throw the beads and uh you know everybody's maskless so you can't really see who's throwing you i think that has something to do with you know the 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 quote-unquote wealthy don't want to be seen but giving back and i don't know i mean it's it's very strange, you know. It's not our natural, uh, I guess, heritage where we grew up. It's it's more of a you know a lot of Cajun stuff and Creole stuff, and but it's very cool to be around for sure because everybody actually gets a gets together, and and has a great time. You know, there's very rare incidences that, I mean, it's always on the fringes, sure, but everybody has a good time. I mean, so New Orleans, I mean, really is kind of a melting pot of, like, Spanish and French you have people and, and then Americans coming in and then, and then you know, ex-slaves and stuff. I mean, is it still kind of, you know, like a mix of culture like that? Yeah, well, you know, the French Quarter, uh, Americans weren't allowed to do business in the French Quarter for quite some time, I think, before we owned it. There's a place across the street. The canal, Canal Street, which is the widest roadway, I think, in the U.S. It's like 153 feet wide because it's not a boulevard. It's still a road, I think. <laughs> but they were going to make a moat all around the French Quarter, and you had to pay a toll to get in, but I don't think they ever did that. The Irish were going to help with that, I believe. That's why they call it the Irish Channel and all this stuff. But uh, there's a pl- the neighborhood right next door, which is downtown with all the big buildings we call it the cbd the central business district and that's where the americans could trade i believe pretty interesting so what's one of like the craziest things that you've seen while just hanging out on the streets of new orleans or the french quarter um i mean i want to say i've seen people die a few times (laughs) keel over and hit their head on the concrete and then like just the oh, being yeah. too drunk type type of stuff. Yeah, a lot of homeless people and people that want to be homeless. You know, you can't help them. They they're just like that. Um, well, a lot of fights. You know, people are drunk. They start thinking they're jujitsu masters and they just you know hit their head on the ground. <laughs> so I mean, you, oh, actually, we, one thing about New Orleans is you know it's below sea level, so everything there's all this stagnant water. One time, this artist, this old guy artist, in the morning had filthy hands, and he's like, man, I just, I got to do it. I can't. I just have to do it. And he stuck his hand in the gutter. And no telling how many hundreds of years this water has been stagnant in this gutter, you know. I mean, obviously, they try to flush it out, but you never stick your hands on any water in the quarter, nor do you ever walk around with open-toed shoes. Why is that? Because it's filthy. It's absolutely yeah. disgusting. <laughs> they used to hose the streets down with lavender water uh, like 100 years ago, but now they don't. It changes. The, the contract on that changes, and I don't even think they spray it down anymore because as we would get up there at 7 in the morning and try to sell on the fence, we'd see them go by with the sprayer, but I don't think they do that anymore. What about any like the dark history of New Orleans? Like I've read some articles. Like there's all these like legends and like dark history of New Orleans. Um, I mean, have you experienced any of that? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of dark history. Actually, there's um, there's this house uh, on the corner of I think it's Ursuline and Royal Street, where it's this this big house, and it was used as this kind of torture chamber for this doctor or somebody i mean hundreds of people have been like mutilated and chopped up i I forgot what it's it's like a very famous it's one of the most haunted places in the country i think because there's there's like this serial killer that used to 
I don't know. I don't. I don't really yeah, know. And that's in the French Quarter. It's a, it's on Ursuline and Royal Street, I believe. Um, I wish I knew more about it, but I don't really go on the haunted history tours and stuff. But yeah, they have tons of stories and this and that, and you know, tons of movies are filmed there. I mean, it's 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 just a wild place for sure. Yeah. And so. You know, I always hear about New Orleans being like this murder capital, like the country. There's all these murders taking place all the time. It's it's always in the news. I mean, you you see a lot of, a yeah, lot every of uh, stuff like that going on. Yeah, every night I hear at least ten gunshots in Bywater and on Saint Claude and Louisa Street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wh- what are the gun laws like in New Orleans? I mean, are, I think it's open carry. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think there's rules like when you're what a mile or so next to a school or something. But do I they mean, have I've, do I've they seen, have concealed carry in New Orleans? I mean, I see it. I see people doing it, and I've spoken to cops about it. They said, "Yeah, I mean, you, it's open carry, but I don't know why you'd want to do it because I mean, it kind of is the wrong place because you just, of course, you're protecting yourself, but at the same time." People are dumb and people are drunk and drinking mm-hmm. and everybody's doing drugs and drinking. Like people go down there to get shit faced. So best just not be around if you're a trigger happy kind of person or something, you know. So when you're like drawing all this stuff, I mean, are you I mean you're just kind of melted into the like you're like a fly on the wall to ta- Yeah, and, and my bullshit meter is pretty high, like meaning like if I know if somebody's casing me out or trying to look at me to see if I got anything or wants to steal or anything. I mean, so I mean, is there a high probability of being robbed if you, if you're like, if you're drunk in New Orleans? I mean, I'll say yes, but I mean, when I mean, you have to keep your head on a swivel. Type yeah. Of deal I mean, uh, part of the reason why I love being there is because of that. You know, I call it drinking with the fishes, especially when I'm selling art, you just have to like have fun and, you know, be upbeat and talk to people because if you don't, you're going to have a bad time. You know, that's, it's not a place to go if you're scared. You know, I've, I've had some very lucky experiences and, you know, I haven't had too many misfortunes there, which is, which is awesome. But, uh, you know, I'm not walking around naive either. You know, you just, you have to, you have to be mindful (laughs) for sure. Isn't it? Aren't you allowed to like drink on the street? Yeah. in New Orleans, like it, other places I've lived, like you, Orlando you can, and stuff, like you, you you don't you can't walk outside a bar with a beer. In uh, it's illegal. I think in Orleans Parish, which is you know a a county, they call them parishes. Um, you can get a to go cup of whatever as long as you keep a straw wrapper on top of the straw. You can get a daiquiri to go in your car. but you know it's it's kind of like europe in a way where everybody's used to drinking and doing drugs all the time where it's just a thing like nobody nobody freaks out too much like like i've i've been on bourbon street when it's nuts and you just see the the cops or the state police just just hanging out and talking i mean there could be a fight going on in front of them they just they know it's going to stop once they touch their yellow laser, yellow taser gun because nobody wants to be shot with one of those. I mean, you, I've seen it tons of times where you know, people are fist fighting and the cops are like, hey, chill out. But then if they don't, then all they got to do is reach for it and then it stops, usually. So it's a wild place and people like it wild and I like it wild. But you just, you got to be tough kind of, you know. <laughs> so... Yeah, you have you had any like close calls personally with with criminals and stuff like that there? Yeah, I mean somebody tried to rob me on my car and I uh, opened my door as fast as I could and kind of hit him and he kind of projectiled up on the house and by the time he could get up, I was gone, you know, in my car and uh, I had somebody break into my house one time, caught him in my room and. Um, you know, we've we've had training with guns and stuff with close encounters, and I didn't have a gun on me, but I had a hammer, and I diffused a situation to where I got him out of the house. I have a bunch of roommates, and I mean, was he was he there to oh, yeah, break was, in your house? I mean, or he was, he was just some in, drunk guy. He was in my room. I I mean, if, well, what was that? I mean, what were you sleeping? No, I was actually drawing from three a.m. to eight thirty a.m. Uh, one of the supposed houses of the rising sun. It was on uh, 
Oh, it's in between Royal and Charters on Ursuline, I believe. Uh, anyway, I came home, and, and he just happened to go in through a side door or something. And So you were already home, or you came home and he was in I there? went to the restroom in my house, came back in my room, and he was in there. And I was thinking to myself, well... You know, if I had a if I had a concealed gun on me, it would have been it would have been in my pants or in my bag or, or something. I just remember. Anyway, long story short, I totally diffused the situation because we had the staircase. And I didn't know if there were more people waiting at the staircase. I mean, it, I don't know. It was kind of a. Did he say anything? Uh, yeah, I remember he he was like, "No, man, it's cool. I'm a." I'm a rap artist. Here's my card. Like, it, I mean, he was totally high on something, but. Did he have, I mean, did he have, was he taking stuff or was he just he looking was, around? He was going through my pockets. and uh, Like on your clothes on the ground or something? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more to it than what I'm saying, but long story short, I got him out of my room, got him in the hallway, grabbed the hammer, which is right where I needed it if something like that happened. And, you know, I was prepared to you know stop the situation aggressively if it came to that but he was a much bigger guy and the only thing that mattered was getting him out of the house were you home alone no i had uh i think two roommates two and, two girls with me uh and, in in their rooms and they didn't know they didn't even know this guy was there well they they knew right when everything was happening and then they kind of closed the doors and i just kind of had to deal <laughs> deal with it but, you know, it's, I mean, we've done training like that, and it totally kicked in because the first thing I thought of, okay, well, if I shoot this guy, it's going to go through the wall here and hit the roommate in the other quarter of the house. If I if I shoot him here, it's going to hit over that, over there. Like, so what, there really just, wasn't a safe. So you just picked up the hammer and, like, he oh, backed yeah. off? I was once. Well, I had this thought. Once I pick this hammer up, I better be ready to kill this guy. And, yeah, that was... That was uh, that's what happened. Ended up they ended up catching the guy. He ran off. And so did you call the cops? And, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And they caught him. They caught him. Uh, I think a month later or something. Yeah. The district attorney called me and said, "Oh, Mr. Brown, we we caught him. You know this man. He he got like eight months and you know whatever." But that I mean that's another story. You know. That's crazy. <laughs> And yeah. you, I know you've had your cars broken into stuff like just that recently there. though. I mean, something. I mean, I think it's a lot of juveniles where they catch them and then they have to release them. Or, uh, the, but uh, as the neighborhood gets, you know, as I guess gentrification, whatever, different economic, you know, backgrounds flood the neighborhoods. Uh, it seems like there's sort of there's a big conflict there for sure. Have you ever seen anybody like metal detecting in New Orleans? It seems like there should be all sorts of stuff in the ground there. I mean, being a historic not much, area, but, you know, there should. You know, there there's not a damn rock anywhere in the soil there. It's just silt. So if you came across something, it's definitely going to be a a piece of handmade metal for sure. Is I mean, is there are there any places there where like you could still metal metal detect? I mean, is it I all mean, just legally, concreted I don't know, over? But but uh. Assuming you had permission to do it, I mean, oh yeah, I mean, is there is there any ground that you could dig in there, like in the historic areas? Well, if you go to City Park, which they boast has the largest amount of live oaks in the nation, which I don't think is true, because you know you and I grew up <laughs> pretty much where they're all at um, in Florida, but they used to have duels out there in between these two old oak trees, which are probably about 500 years old right now, judging on how, you know, how much we know about them. But they used to do duels, I think, in the cathedral backyard. Um, but then after that, uh, there's been some notable duels in the oak trees in City Park, what is now called City Park, which, which was probably just farmland back in the day. So you ought to get a metal detector and uh, and see if you can get permission for. It. Of course, the city park. There's probably a law about there's, whether you can or can't in the city park. I don't know what the law I is. I mean, in maybe. I New mean, New Orleans or Louisiana. You'd be surprised how much nobody really cares about keeping history and stuff. Like, there's no old jazz clubs there. There's no old, 
everything's from the 60s and on kind of thing. There's no sort of steward of history other than the Bucure, I guess, which, which is, you know, the, the group that keeps the French Quarter architecture and streets in check as far as, you know, if you own a house there, it's a big ordeal to even change the paint color because it's got, everything's got to be approved. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You got to use their workers, everything. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about the negatives of that, but there's also more to be say, said about the positives of that because really it's, you know, it's a whole, whole little town or city of this architecture. You know, St. Augustine is really great, but it doesn't have near as much as, you know, New Orleans has as far as the old Spanish remnants of this sort of French stuff as well, you know? So, I mean, Jackson Square, where Andrew Jackson is, before that, it was Place de Armes, which is the old armory for the Spanish. And, you know, they used to have a big garrison there. Is that st- anything still there from yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, there's a big cannon, and there's... I mean, there's there, well, there's there's the church there, which isn't originally there. I think it's been burnt several times, but that's not the cathedral or a different church. The cathedral has been rebuilt several times, I believe, three times. Um, and there's something about like a creepy statue at the cathedral. Look, looks like Dracula or something. Oh no no no! It's called Touchdown Jesus, because <laughs> Jesus is sitting there with his hands like that. And I think after they won the Super Bowl, somebody put a like a breeze jersey on it like sewed it on there and it it was forever known as touchdown jesus hmm. and there's a big light that shines in it and it has a huge shadow on the back of the uh cathedral there you, if you just type in touchdown jesus it'll, it'll come up because i i saw an article on that and they said it was like this creepy vampire statue but i never heard anything about no touchdown no jesus. no <laughs> but it'll touchdown jesus is also the start of uh, orleans road which is the widest street in the quarter yeah, is there traffic on the like the main drag there in the French Quarter? Yeah, I mean on Decatur Street is f- full traffic all the time, but Royal Street is usually closed down. It's a pedestrian mall from like Orleans to Conti, I believe Conti, which is it's like this four or five block pedestrian mall where no cars are supposed to go, which makes it incredible because everybody can kind of busk there. You'll see performers all over the world either selling things, you know, a lot of donation stuff, because if you don't have a permit, it can get kind of iffy. But you'll see vendors there of all sorts, and performers, and musicians, and, you know, crust punks, and all sorts of people, but it's great. So where's, like, like if you're visiting New Orleans, and you're interested in history, I mean, where do you think's, like, the the spots to go that, that wouldn't be, like, obvious? Like, where'd be a Wouldn't cool spot to obvious. go? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of obvious spots that are great. Um, there's a lot of restaurants there that are excellent that are outside of the quarter that are really great. Um, I don't... I what's, your, what's your favorite restaurant there? Like, if you were going to go to one or recommend one, where would that be? Oh, I don't know. Um, Napoleon House? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure... I don't really eat there that much. I'm sure it's great, but... I, I like uh, having a drink or two there for sure because it's it's still really old looking. The the walls are really kind of appear to be crusty and the woodwork and just the history there is really it's really evident there I guess. And um, there's a bunch of new places popping up all the time with you know top Michelin star chefs and stuff which are pretty cool. Like in my neighborhood in Bywater they have this place called in seven which is this you know you you have to open the door to like a construction fence or something and all of a sudden there's this great like i guess it's french courtyard with you know beautiful wine and really good food and you know expensive stuff but there's just all these little like pockets of food that you just the beauty of it is you just walk upon it one day and you're like oh let's just let's look and see if anybody's home but it's a whole restaurant that you had no idea you know I think there's a lot of like commercial leeway with food and buildings and neighborhood houses and stuff, which is great, you know. I mean, is it pretty safe to walk around there? I mean, where where are the spots to avoid? I think it's pretty safe nowadays compared to what I've heard how it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, 
everybody when everybody walks around and you're obviously from there, live there, people want to know about Katrina and all this stuff. And you know, a lot of people that were there don't really want to talk about it because it's like reliving stress that they don't, you know, they're trying to forget or whatever. Yeah, um, you weren't there when Katrina happened. N- right? No, but I was in Sarasota and I was surfing on the waves that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> were were breaking on a Lido Beach. Which is the Gulf, you know, they don't really have Are there still spots in New Orleans where it's still, like, destroyed from Katrina that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch. Um, A lot of it has been rebuilt. And another thing is on the buildings, on the... Mostly on the neighborhood buildings, like houses and stuff, there's markers of, I guess, the fire department checking off each interior of the house. Like, they would have these X's, and then each department of the x would mean like you know zero bodies found or there's one alive or did it ever flood like french quarter i mean no the the french quarter is high ground which is why it's built there um it's high ground and it it did not flood so i mean that's like the old part of new orleans which that's where they built it obviously because it was the higher spot yeah and that's why it's still there and everybody's like well why why would you build the city when it's you know sinking well i mean that's that's a 300 year old question you know does the mississippi river come close to the french quarter oh yeah it's right it's right there it was this is like an old port there right like the historic uh, port area is it right there right from my understanding that's where they would uh y- you know import slaves and, and 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 later bananas and you know everything i mean everything would be that's why the mississippi river the mouth of it is so crucial is there anything left there, like historic-wise, like old buildings and you know, where, where this port was? Well, yes and no. A lot of the hotels there, uh, I think the Omni Hotel, is. it's all been rebuilt, but it's all still there on the foundations and stuff of where all these, yeah, I, I believe this, all these old you know slave auction places, I mean, cotton warehouses, I mean, all sorts of trade things. I mean, you know, it was a... I, I believe it was a, a a lot larger of a port than it is now. I mean, now the only thing that really comes in there is, you know, uh, cruise ships and stuff. They come right up to the bridge and then turn around. But really, all the big freight goes up to uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, that's where I think that's one of the biggest ports on that side of the nation is. Um, also, to this day, the biggest number of trafficking of human trafficking is in Baton Rouge, I believe. Hmm. It beats everybody, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's about that time. I think I'll probably call it quits here, but uh, um, anyways, I appreciate you uh, talking about New Orleans here, and uh, hopefully I'll get there at some point and we'll see some of these spots. But, uh you know, you're headed what tomorrow morning or Yeah, I think we're gonna stop in Columbia and then uh, we'll we might go to Florida and then hang out and then go back to New Orleans sometime. But yep, gonna go in there and have a lot of work to finish and draw up and yeah. So Awesome. So um, you know, if anyone's in New Orleans, uh, you know, look for Look for Trey. Yeah, definitely look me up or go to the gallery I'm with. Uh, It's at Elliott Gallery on Toulouse and Royal Street. Uh, It's, it's, uh, she, let's see, uh, Catherine that runs it, she has a lot of uh, Picasso lithographs and and Dali and Moreau and Chagall, and then there's me. (laughs) So that's really cool. It's, It's really great to be a part of the gallery. I'm also out there on the street a lot. And, and uh, you have, I mean, you got a website too, right? Yeah, it's uh, well, it's TreyBryanStudio.com, or you can just look me up on Instagram, which is what I mainly deal with. It's just at Trey Bryan, that's my handle. And then if anybody has any questions on email, it's just TreyBryan at Mac.com. So. And I've been working on you for a while to try to do some illustrations on historical sites, so like. You know, around here, things yeah. like that. So hopefully, well, it's exciting, yeah. And hopefully, uh, soon we can get you to do an illustration of the fort. Yeah, uh, sort of a, a what it may have looked like and what it is now, and then maybe what yeah. it could be. Yeah, that that'd be pretty sweet. Kind of three but, different stages would be pretty neat. But I'll I'll keep working on you with that. But uh, 
Hey, it's it's about that time, and it's uh, what's well, Friday night, and it's about time to head in. You get to start yeah, yeah. driving in the morning, so uh, we'll go ahead and call a day. But you know, again, you know, thanks for tuning in and, and uh, to the Scavenger Geology podcast, and which was inspired by you to begin with. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a lot of fun just you know shooting the breeze about stuff, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on.